He's the one guy that can match the Michigan three-point shooters, Luke Hancock, and he's done it to the tune of trying to get his team on the lead. And up ahead, Deceiva. Oh. And that time by Harrell, and just like that, in the blink of an eye, Louisville comes from 12 down to take the lead. Hello. And welcome to another episode of This Here Fine Podcast. I'm the first co-host, Gabe DeVerge. And I'm the second, Chris Hatfield. Second but second best, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to put it. How are you? <laughs> Doing good, sir. How about yourself? I'm well. Um, busy with Twitter, trying to figure out who is the... R&B King, um, I think that's a really good discussion right now. So. Really good discussion, really good questions, um, a lot a lot on Twitter on that front. But alas, that's, that's not why we're here. We are here for a uh, another episode of this year. Now, if I, I'll make a little drum roll, kind of a drum roll here. Name of this podcast is What High School Did You Go To? <laughs> so the the quintessential Louisville question, question number two in any conversation. Uh what high school did you go to? It's I always joke with people about and it was an idea I kind of threw out in a discussion and you uh, you seem to be on board with it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Gabe, what high school did you go to? I went to uh, Dupont Manual High School. Class and I went to Barstown High School, which is actually not a Jefferson County school, but close enough. Class 2010. Close enough. Close enough, and, and one that I'm sure gets you questions. And I'm sure people oh, you remember this person from this and this, and, you know, the funnel thing. But it's actually really funny because today i've been kind of poking around and, and grabbing on to things yeah i actually we actually got uh what high what high dot school um on the on the lockdown right now which is kind of a great <laughs> domain name i love it uh but for some reason at what high school is owned on twitter by these two girls from st louis which apparently is also uh, an area that uses that as their second question in any conversation which is kind of hilarious because it's st louis Louisville. It's pretty funny. Which is utterly but ridiculous yeah, because a... because St. Louis is so much bigger than Louisville. I just can't imagine it how is. many conversations and how difficult that would get. There's not even uh, anything you can grasp from what high school because there's just so many, I would say. Probably. I think if they have sort of the similar kind of Catholic public dynamic is kind of what I've gathered in my small bit of research. If you're from St. Louis and not call me out on that, that's perfectly fine. Because <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, but yeah, we thought you know we thought it was a fun name. It uh you know it kind of underlines the fact that you know sports is first for us, but it's not going to be everything. Um, we definitely aren't going to shy away from talking about other things that are wolf related. And uh, this is just um you know we said there's more to come from us, and uh, we mean it. There's more to come. Hopefully, you're listening to this on a um, you know, a more traditional podcast way. If, uh, you know, if you're listening on SoundCloud, we'll, we'll make sure it's there too. Um, that's cool. Appreciate it. Um, got, got some good, got some feedback uh, from the first episode and we knew after Saturday, we definitely needed to get back in the lab and keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. 
so yeah, Chris, let's uh, jump right in then. Um, talk about Saturday. Uh, the University of Louisville went up against the univer- Indiana University, uh, lost by just one point, 68-67. Um, IU is now ranked. That was Louisville's really good chance at getting ranked. Uh, it was a back-and-forth game. It was a good game, I would say. Um, a game Louisville, I don't think, played its particular best in. Um, and we'll talk about that. Uh, I guess sort of uh, what is your general thought, Chris, about you know the aftermath, how Louisville played, and the general narrative um, out, you know, kind of coming out of it? You know, it's, it's kind of funny because I think in a lot of games – I don't think Louisville's really played their best yet this season. I think the best best they've played was the second half of Seton Hall. Uh was probably the most impressive they've looked all season. Um, maybe the maybe the first half against Tennessee, I'd, I'd say. Well. Yeah, the first half against Tennessee. Um, it, it, it's tough for me to gauge that one just because it's kind of uh, the, the way it finished. Um, but, yeah, um, I, I don't think Louisville p- played particularly well. Um I, I think they kind of gave it away in the waning minutes, but, uh, you know, um, my biggest takeaway, as we've kind of spoke about, was not necessarily the play on the court, but the narrative from, from the fan base after. <laughs> yeah, I think, and, and, and there, you know, I think there's a, you know, a split. There's a, a big a group of people who, uh, who were kind of like a good job, good effort almost type of thing. And, you know, I, th- I think we kind of agreed that was a little frustrating and, there's kind of the other side. It's like, you know, what's what's the expectation of this team? And, you know, it's easy. I think it's easy to compare it to last season um, where, you know, all due respect uh, to Scott or uh, to Dave Padgett, but that team was very was very poorly coached in a lot of tough situations, an impossible situation he was in. Um, but coaching, I think, was different in some situations. Um, you know, I think it's easy to compare to last year and kind of look back and feel, oh, well, we're right where we need to be in comparison to last year. But there's also the part of me, and, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Chris, where it's like, hey, like, we can't keep losing games that we should have won, you know, and yeah, this was a game they lost. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a few things there, right? Because I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a tough spot, too. I'm, I'm, I, can, I can understand both places, but at the same time, you know, you go and win against Michigan State, you yep. go and win at Seton Hall. Yep. You know, something that a bunch of McDonald's All-Americans couldn't do this weekend in a neutral court game. And, and that's not even me taking a shot at Kentucky. That's just the reality of the situation. Like, it, it's it's a good win. And once that happens, your expectations can change with that. It is okay to adapt and see that, hey, this team is an NCAA tournament team. And maybe maybe some of the excuses that were made for that team were, you know, more of a reflection of David Padgett than anything else. I mean... You look at it last year, six losses back and buying 20 points. Um, and I think they had nine total, but six of them were combined by 20 points. That's about four points a game. This year, three yeah. losses by 15 points, and that's about five points a game. So <laughs> it's it's okay to be frustrated because you're seeing the same things that doomed you last year, you know, potentially keeping you out of the tournament again this year. I don't think this year's team is last year's team by any stretch, but – it's it's okay to note that. No, I I completely agree, and I think I think, you know, when you're kind of doing the math about this year, it's 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 hard. It's hard because we've got two big wins. You know, we've got a signature win in Michigan State. That's probably, you know, um, 
that, that that's going to be one, uh, one of the three, you know, may, you know, one of the two, three best wins of the year, probably, you know, I'm assuming um, they don't take care of Duke, you know, those types of things, but, but I, you, you get what I'm saying. So, and then you've got to win against Ian Hall that obviously they're showing their team, potentially a top 25 team. So I think we're sort of in this weird place where last season we didn't have any of these big yeah. non-con wins. I and think you need math, one more though. You need one more. I think, I think the math kind of shows you need one more. You take a look at February. I had you know Saturday evening, Sunday was just stare at February and get scared. And 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 it's easy to look at the math and say, okay, you know, if we enter, if we enter January with three or four losses, we'll be fine. There's, I mean, just looking at you know, just looking at Ken Palm right now. I mean, Ken Palm is predicting that Louisville's going to lose ten more games this year. That right. that, that they'll be eighteen and thirteen and. That's probably a tournament team if if you if you win, but you you're leaving it up to chance. There's a really really de- you know there's a, there's a scenario where Louisville doesn't get a big time win in the new year, and yeah. that has to scare you a little bit. And I, what I kind of thought, to be honest with you, Saturday meant is that I think it's a lot more important for Louisville to go beat Kentucky now. Yes, I, I think that game. I think that game in the past has been. You know, you can make the argument which way who it who it's more important for, but this year I don't think there's any question that it's going to be more important for Louisville. And you know, as kind of an aside, and we'll kind of just branch off a little bit here. But another thing that's really been bothering me lately is this narrative that there's just no talent on this team, and that's just not true. No, there's, I, th- I think we're at the point where we have to agree it's not. There's there's not a lot of depth, but there there's there's mid-tire ACC talent on this team, and mid-tire SEC, ACC talent on this team will get you to the tournament. And it got, I mean, it got Florida State to the Elite Eight last year. It got Clemson to the Sweet 16, and those are, those are mid-tire teams. I mean, Malik Williams was, when he came here, we talked about it in the last podcast, but the kind of the best recruits of all time in Louisville, or, or the last 15 years, rather, but... Malik Williams, he was the 10th best recruit at Louisville in 15 years, according to 247 Sports. Darius Perry was one of the, thir- the believe it or not, the 35th best. And Jordan mm-hmm. Awara was the 42nd best. So there's guys that are on this team that are, believe it or not, some of the best that Louisville's ever had, you know, in the last yeah. 15 years as far as the, the ratings want to go. So I just, that narrative that's been out there. I don't think there's a lot of depth on this team, but the people they put on the court, uh, they're talented. Yeah, they, they, and, and they're, they're certainly I, – I, I can't disagree. I mean, Jordan War, we, we, we would be remiss if, if we didn't outline how incredible of a day that he had. And, yeah. and, and one, you know, I don't, I don't want to retweet my – or repeat my tweets, but I felt like he was, he was the best guy on the floor, and that floor included a top-five pick in Romeo yeah. Langford. I mean, he had 24 points. Um, 14 rebounds, uh, two assists, only one turnover, three steals. Uh, he, w- he shot 50%, four of eight from three. Um, he got to the line, uh, you know, f- four of six from the line. Uh, just an all-around really good day. Defensively, I felt he was, you know, one of his better defensive efforts. I didn't mm-hmm. – there weren't – there's maybe one – I want to say one or two times it felt like a lapse on his part. But generally, you can pick – you get the, you know, about six or, or, or eight of those from him in a day. And I thought he was pretty strong on that end of the floor. Um, he's definitely, you know, he was the MVP of the game, the leader of the team. 
Um, it was a. Were you kind of? Did you kind of get the same vibe? I know. I think. Uh, I think it was Jardiner pointed it out that it seemed like Cunningham almost didn't look for him as much late in the game. I, I didn't get that vibe, but I. I did think it was interesting that Nora kind of jacked it up pretty quick the two times he got in the final two minutes. Yeah, I think what was happening with Louisville, especially in the second half, is I think Indiana made the decision to clog the lane a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And I, I think Cunningham was just, I don't know that he was necessarily, you know, freezing or out. I think he was trying to get into the paint and kick it back out because that's what Louisville's had a lot of success with. It's either getting to the paint and drawing, yeah. drawing a foul or getting to the paint and just dribble drive offense. And Indiana did a really good job of that in the second half. Um, I think, yeah, they were really excellent defensively. And um, uh, that's something that not a lot of people are talking about today, but is I really think is, an, is, a, is a big thing about it. Yeah, um, I mean, Mac after the game talked about a lot about post touches and about how well they were clogging the lane. They would, they were bringing anytime Enoch or Malik Williams got a post touch on the on the corner, they were bringing a double team and forcing them to make quick decisions. And it didn't really lead to a lot of turnovers for Louisville, but it just led to them not really looking inside. And you know, they they kept Louisville off the free throw line, and that right there is a big reason why. No, you're absolutely right, and, and and again, you know, just taking a look at these stats, and I, um, one thing that that definitely pops out is uh, 15 points from Juwan Morgan. Um, you know, when it, I, I I mean, this is kind of its own whole thing, but what are we just are we just going to expect really poor defensive play from the from the five position? Is that just is that just something Louisville fans should expect <laughs> defensive rotations? I think I think they can. I don't think they're going to suddenly become you know tough guys and going to become rim detectors. But I think they can not go for a steal every possession and leaving a guy wide open underneath the basket to dunk it. I I think that can be uh, fixed. Um, but yeah, it's, you that, know that, seemed, that was definitely a recurring issue. And I think you mentioned some tweets, and also I saw Russ Smith mention it. It's like the pack line offense you cannot gamble for those for those steals yeah. and that's something that rick patino's defenses really relied on they relied on that freelance and that, that on the ball tenacity and um that, that involved doing some gambling from time to time and it yeah. is taking defensively a little bit more time for guys like nora and malik williams i've noticed do it do it several times and darius perry doing a few as well they go for that you know that home run steal to to go to to um, you'll get a tra- an easy transition bucket, and uh, it's 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 turned out pretty poorly. And that was a I think that happened probably four or five times in the second half. Yeah, it's it's funny with the big guys though because Malik Williams, you know, he's quick enough on his feet to where he thinks he has a chance, but he really doesn't. And Enoch is not a quick enough on his feet to not even have a chance. So when he does it, it yeah. doesn't matter. So it's you know damned if you do, damned if you don't. But yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, it was, you know, it is an issue of concern. And I think, you know, kind of going back to that five position, you know, you talk about Kentucky, and I think it, every time I watch someone dominate the five, I think about Reed Travis. And I think about, you know, um, how well, honestly, Kentucky's front court is a strength. You know, I mean, you saw, you saw some big shots from some of the guards on Saturday, but I think that was still, you know, I think the front court is still their biggest strength. And, I'm a little concerned uh, for December the 29th just on that front. Uh, you know, is Reed Travis, is P.J. Washington, are they going to dominate? Are they? Are we going to expect, going to have to expect, you know, 
you know, 30 points from the two of them. And, and I think it's a, a big question mark going into that game for sure. I think the concern is absolutely legitimate, but something that stands out for me and I really can't seem to figure it out is why Louisville was able to contain Nick Ward against Michigan State. Because yeah. that, that dude's all Big Ten. Um, I watched the Northwestern game, and, you know, at the beginning of the game, first 10 minutes, he had 12 points in about 10 minutes. And every time he was getting a touch, he was just dominating. Yeah. And someone smarter than me can maybe figure that out. But whatever the game plan was for that game should probably be applied to Kentucky because it worked. No, you're absolutely right. He, he, uh, he scored 14. I think a lot of those were second half and um, an OT, if I recall, 14 yeah. points against Louisville. Um, but you're right. You know, it's keeping keeping the big quiet is is going to have to be something that they scheme for a little more. And I, you know, Chris Mack is uh, he's I think he's done a generally good job scheming. You know, um, you know we we could talk a little bit if you want about the uh, the um, the three timeouts that he took home with him from the game. Um, but, you know, I think generally he's kind of come into these games with good plans and either they've executed or haven't. No, I mean, I, I didn't have a whole lot of problems. The one thing that, that kind of, kind of bugged me, um, was after the game, he talked about how he thought in the second half that, the offense, I guess they went on a they went on a few droughts, but I think they went on yeah. about a four or five minute one there late. And um, he talked about how he really thought that was affecting their defense. And I think the the greatest thing about this team is after each game, you've been able to point out a weakness, you've been able to address it, and they've generally been able to prove it. Whether it's been rebounding after the Michigan State game, they out rebounded Seton Hall. It, it, it's just been little things, and I think. You know, using one of those timeouts and getting guys to relax and pointing that out may have may have worked a little bit, and that's that's really it. Um, something small. I, I think at the end of the game there were a few little sequences. Malik Williams taking the the twenty two footer um, with a yeah. five point game. You know, thirty five seconds left. I wasn't really ideal. Um, maybe there, but yeah. But generally down the stretch. Uh, there wasn't there's a whole lot that I'm just like, you know, really frustrated with. Yeah, I think I, I was joking with a friend today. I've kind of reached the point with Malik Williams where I appreciate his ability to be dangerous from behind the line. But I almost get a little concerned when he kind of hits the first one that it's right. going to be a game where he's going to pull from 25 feet at will. And, and then, of course, that leaves nobody in the middle to to get rebounds and um, offensive rebounds, as the broadcast really pointed out and was, was something a lot of people were pointing out, Louisville dominated on the offensive boards in the first half, and that was pretty much non-existent down the stretch. And um, some of those some of those shots, I think, were part of it. There was a lot of really shot clock shots, but you know, and I'm I'm always kind of of the opinion that I, I love these true road games early um, at you know at Seton Hall at IU. IU's going to be, I mean, no disrespect to anybody in the ACC. But that's going to be the craziest crowd they play all season. Yeah, that's absolutely. going to be the biggest crowd. There's something. There's a little more. There's a little blood in the water for those IU fans. Um, you know, twenty-five thousand bad drivers all in one place wanting to yell at some horrible <laughs> people. It's it, there's going to be a little bit different. You know, of a vibe there than if they go into um, you know when they go to Duke, when they go to the Dean Dome. Um, you know, when they go to Virginia, it's just, it's a different, not to say that those aren't going to be tough places to play, 
but I do appreciate the for the the you know the fact that this team is going to be able to go, um, you know, good to be able to to look back on this experience and, and know that this was the toughest and they can perform and they were close in this toughest environment and they can do better going forward. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about playing at Virginia, I'm not sure if those guys stay awake for the whole game because I, <laughs> I think it might be pretty tough to do that. But yeah. Um, Assembly Hall, I mean, it doesn't really matter when you play. When it's Louisville, Kentucky, it's there. Um, It's not going to get much tougher. I don't think there's really any comparisons around the country. There's few and far between that come to mind. So maybe Fall Island, Fieldhouse, and they're not playing there this year. So Yeah, no, and I think – I and that kind of underlines what Max said. It seems like this is something that's going to continue. I think this is the end of the kind of agreement they had. They played at Bankers. Uh, They played at uh, the Yam Center, and now they've played at Assembly Hall. And hopefully this continues – uh, I certainly would love to keep it going. Uh, didn't get to make it up there this year, um, but definitely would love to keep it going from here. Quick question: If it doesn't continue, just pick no. a team who you're replacing with. Uh, Cincinnati, easy. Yeah, That's just, uh, and, and that, Cincinnati's a good choice. I might choose West Virginia. That would be fun. I think, and and you know, this is obviously a whole other discussion, but it's like this twentieth game, the twentieth ACC game, which. Actually, I think was announced last week is going to be like the first game of the season or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is kind of really weird. Um, but that 20th ACC game is going to prevent there being a fun another rival. I know a lot of people have wanted to keep playing, have wanted to find Cincinnati, especially now with Mac, and he's got some bad blood with these guys. I wonder honestly if that would even happen right now with Mac. Is, uh, uh, I'm not using his name. Um, yeah, but, I, you know, considering all the things, you know, the, the two Holloway incident and the incident last year with J.P. McCurra, um, I, I, I'm a little hesitant to believe that Cincinnati would schedule Mac. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I would, you know, for pure old rivalryness, um, I would love to see that come back. It would be beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, so kind of other uh, – other observations. I know you had some interesting figures on Dwayne Sutton um, that I, that I thought were really, really interesting, Chris. Yeah, I just I think um, when you look at this team, you need to find another consistent scoring threat other than Nor- Jordan. Because um, you look at those two, you look at those two scoring scoring droughts, and they were doing a good job. And I think that's the real question with this team on the offensive end, anyway. Is who's going to be that second guy? And you got to few hosts of people that could stand up, but my pick would be Sutton. Um, just because I look at the last few games, he's had 13, 12, 7, and 8. Um, pretty standard, decent games. If you could get maybe 13, 14 out of him every game, you'd take that all day. Um, but what I found interesting about him, what you were talking about, is he has the second lowest uses rate on the team, which is only ahead of Kwan Ford. Yet he's third on the team in points produced with 78, and that's actually tied with McMahon. I, I thought it was two less, which is actually tied now. Wow. And Ryan McMahon's usage rate is 23%, so it's 11% higher um, than him. And basically, just usage rate is just like, you know, just an estimate of how much a percentage of a player is involved in a team's plays. So he's involved in about 12% of the team plays, while McMahon is involved in 23% yet they've produced the same amount of points this season. 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and you know, I I think Sutton is quickly becoming a a favorite for a lot of fans. You know, Louisville guys tend to be shout to Sutton went to Dupont Manual High School, my guy. Right, um, but um, but I, Sutton is a, is a really interesting case this season because he's been so good and he makes so many plays a track. That's just a smart basketball play, right? And he's kind of the quintessential college glue guy, but. And I'm I, I I completely agree. I think he needs to see more of the ball, but I I wonder I wonder if the shooting is maybe not what he needs to be doing. You know, because I wonder how much it takes away from some of the intangibles, some of the things he does, some of the great passes and, and blocking out that he does. He gets a lot of uh, gets a lot of rebounds. He's, you know, he's getting fourteen point seven percent, or excuse me, seven point two percent of the offensive rebounds, uh, which is third highest on the team. Um, the highest of between the highest outside of Enoch or um, or uh, Malik Williams. Um, so I think you know, I, I he I completely agree. Someone has to step up and be the second guy. I Sutton would be great. It would be great. I just wonder if I wonder if that may take away from some of the other things he does. I, I kind of yeah. I mean, I, I get that, and that's that's kind of like the issue you have with this team, and that's what sucks so bad about a guy like not really having any consistent contribution from BJ Keane because we talked about, you know, teams clogging up the paint. So you need another guy that can put put the ball on the floor and beat his man. And when VJ King has had success in the past, that is who he's been. And that's you know, that's yeah. who, who Dwayne Sutton can be. He was that uh, he, yeah. he was that several times against Seton Hall, but I, I can get that argument for sure. Um, getting away from the basket and, you know, not being able to make those little plays is definitely a risk you take. But, I, I mean, you can kind of open it up and it just, just take a look at the roster. Who do you think has the most room for growth? I mean, yeah, VJ King is is the big question mark, right? You know, he's the guy. You know, I see the big question mark next to him. He played really, really well against Central Arkansas. That Central Arkansas, I was hoping that maybe that vibe would kind of translate to Assembly Hall. It didn't. Um, yeah. You know, I you know I don't I don't like I don't like singling out individual plays, but the first thing I blew. One, I thought about that missed dunk that he had and that missed easy layup that Malik Williams had that were both fumbled out of bounds. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. And, and, you know, BJ has been the topic of a lot of discussion. He's going to continue to be, I believe, unfortunately, for better, for worse. I, I don't I don't know. He's the question mark around this team, and I'm not sure that's changing anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, what's... What's a little bit interesting, at least on the surface, is I think Max kind of been like, okay, I'm going to play you 15 minutes a game, and what you give is what you yeah. give. I think Patino played him, you know, 23 minutes a game just because he was VJ King. David Padgett played him 25, 26 minutes a game because he was VJ King, because he was a five star you know, yeah. McDonald's All American. I think Max just, at this point, it, it is what it is. And I, I, I think that's the completely right call. Um, I think you can maybe look at a guy like Darius Perry and maybe hope he makes a leap. That's that was that's initially kind of my thought. You know, I thought at the end of the year, um, I recall him making a lot of good, a lot of kind of clutch plays, kind of some absolutely threes, um, kind of just looking back at you know that the last game they played, uh, or the the last game they played against. Um, 
against Mississippi State. And he went like one for six from three. It's like he's tried, he's tried to be like a, <laughs> a a contributor, and sometimes it doesn't go well when he does that. So yeah. he's, you know, I thought he would hopefully take a, take a leap in shooting. I, I haven't seen it as much yet. He's only shooting 36 percent from three, which isn't terrible at all on twenty two attempts. It's not horrible, um, but you, you know, the assists I think is what he contributes. I'm starting to believe that Christian Cunningham is best suited to to be an assist and kind of a drive and dish type of guy. Yeah. Draw fouls and and it's that's I think his game and the game he continue, needs to continue to have. Um, he definitely is is drawing a lot of contact. You know, top contact. He's drawing 4.1 fouls for 40 minutes. You know, it's that's really that's really strong. Um, I don't know. It's it's it's. I don't, I don't think we're gonna have that question. Who's the second? You know, if you're looking for a second guy. I don't think we're going to get the answer to that question until the end of, of January, maybe the end of February of that gauntlet stretch. And yeah, I, I mean, gonna, it's going to depend on the night almost. I feel like at this point. Yeah, and you're probably right. I, I got to be honest with you. At this point, if you asked me a month ago, at this point in the season, I would have thought that Darius Perry was regularly starting over Christian Cunningham. Um, yeah. I, I was really high on him to the beginning of the season, and to your point, he hasn't been bad. He just He's just been – he hasn't really made a leap. He's just been who he was last year for the yeah. larger point. And I, and I think there was some concern that of the, of the guards that he might have a little bit more trouble than some of the others to adjust to the max system. Like I said, I think he gambles a lot on defense. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's committing 5.7 fouls a game, which is, you know, by far the highest of all the guards. Um, it's absurd. He's reaching in a ton, and um, it's it, – it, He's the, yeah. I think you you said it. You hit the nail right on the head when you said he hasn't really like been terrible. He's just kind of been the same guy he was at the beginning of last year. Which you know, not everyone can do the Donovan Mitchell leap uh, from <laughs> from freshman to sophomore year. But he's, yeah. he's definitely not not taking a huge step forward. But it remains to be seen. I think there's plenty of time for him um, to to kind of blossom this year. Yeah, I think you said it. I think that's pretty much all I have on the basketball front. Yeah. Uh, before we kind of move on from basketball, any you know we would be remiss if we uh, didn't talk about the other big game of Saturday that you know that I think we all paid attention to. Uh, does does UK losing to Seton Hall in pretty crazy fashion really uh, say a lot to you for the 29th? What what are you what are your vibes from that? It's so hard, man, for me. I watched a good portion of that game, and I thought for the most part that Miles Powell was the same guy that it was against Louisville and. He just made a few more plays against Kentucky. Yeah. Um, I did think in stretches in the first half of what I saw, I thought Kentucky was a little bit weaker with the ball than Louisville was. Um, I don't know that that means much because as we just spent 30 minutes talking about, Louisville's not – at least they shouldn't be the most off aggressive team on defense. They shouldn't be constantly looking for steals. It's more about keeping their man in front of them. So I don't think that really – plays much of a role December 29th, but it's interesting. The result's interesting because, I mean, it, the team's just played, obviously, a week ago, but I, I really don't know how much you take away from it. How about you? Yeah, I think, and I sort of mentioned Reed Travis and P.J. Washington. Reed Travis, I think, is 100% the uh, the anchor of that team, and I don't think it's a coincidence that they, uh, they started to sputter a little bit, you know, even though they kind of brought things back off of the Kelvin Johnson play. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that they started to struggle after Reed Travis fouled out in that game. Um, yeah. PJ Washington is is a streaky player for me. 
I don't I, particularly the first thing I think of when I think of PJ Washington is him missing like ten free throws in a row in the NCAA tournament last year. So I still am not keen on trusting him. Um, you know, think, you know ahead. who I think of when I think of PJ Washington, and PJ Washington's a much better talent. But the comparison that to him, to me, for a Louisville guy is Terrence Jennings. And it's just, <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous because Terrence Jennings had all the talent in the world, NBA body, yeah. um, and would have a few games where you're just like, wow. Um, and P.J. Washington, you know, dominated against Kansas State in the lead eight last year and dominant in a lot of portions of that Seton Hall game. But as you said, just completely inconsistent. It's yeah, it's been really odd, and, and to be to be fair to him, he's had a really good start. You know, he's uh, he's getting twenty eight point two percent of defensive rebounds, thirteen point four of offensive rebounds. You know, he's getting to the line a lot. He's drawing six fouls per forty minutes, which is crazy. That's a big uh, one. It's it's he's he's doing a lot this season. He's looking to be to have taken a step forward. I think he's really helped by having Reed Travis be the five. Um, or, or playing alongside him, I guess Reed Travis sort of plays the floor. Um, but having sort of him as a mate, I think is is it's been really helpful for him and given him some opportunity to to make some moves one on one in the post. I think he's improved in that respect. I think the question for Kentucky is their guard play. Uh, yep. Keldon Johnson looked really you know looked really good at times. Tyler Harrow, who I was told was like the next spawn, like the next great Kentucky white shooter, um, is not he really. He's Rick Chapman. <laughs> he's the next Rex Chapman. And I, I mean, sometimes he looks fantastic. Sometimes he makes an incredibly terrible play that I'm like, why did that guy do that? Why did he take that shot? Um, Quaddy green is to be quite frank. It looks like he may have, may have, maybe shouldn't have taken, should have taken the opportunity to play elsewhere. Um, <laughs> um, uh, he's, he's, he's their VJ King. That's who he is. He's their VJ <laughs> King to a degree. Quickly, uh, quickly, the other you know big freshman they have, he's not getting used on, on Harvey as as much. Um, he's only taking 12.7% of the shots of the team, which is pretty low, honestly. And Hagen's didn't doing much. So like that's the thing is, who's the guy who's playing that front court and or in that back court? And I think the thing about Louisville Kentucky games is, someone always shows up. Someone always shows up who wasn't supposed to show up for Kentucky. And if that's Tyler Harrow and Tyler Harrow drops 35 and he can't miss, and I think that's bad for Louisville. Um, <laughs> if it's Quadi Green, I think they can deal with that. Um, yeah. I, I am, you know, the flip, everyone talks about the flip-flop curse. I sort of, you know, I, I, I subscribe to it, but I think the, you know, the bigger curse for me is the John Calipari first road game curse. And, and Louisville is the first true road game for this Kentucky team. And I'm, I, I have a feeling, I just, I, I don't know, this is probably, a bit, this is maybe not be the case. I've got a weird feeling that Louisville is going to have a, lot, a, a good amount more red in there than they have in years past. Sometimes it can be as much as, you know, a fourth, of, uh, maybe a, a third blue. And I, I've got a feeling it's going to be a, a stronger contingent for Louisville just because I think they smell blood in the water. And I think this team wants to support Mac. And, and uh, you've seen rowdy crowds and, um, you know, I'm really, I'm, re- I, I'm really interested to see how that Kentucky team responds on the 29th. They've got a really big game, of course, against North Carolina before then. Um, they only have two more games before Louisville. Louisville has three more games before playing Kentucky, which is a little interesting. Um, but you know, rain to be seen. Well, I'm, I'm definitely interested in, in seeing how they play against North Carolina uh, a week from Saturday. 
Yeah, I think these these two teams right now as it stands, uh, you know, on this day are as close as not necessarily town, but the way they're playing is that, is that going to remember in a little while. Completely agree. It's it's um, it's going to be a really interesting game and uh, we'll have plenty of time to talk about it, but always something you're looking at on the horizon. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think that about does it uh, for the uh, basketball side. Um, sort of on the football end, we are still in the first opening days of the Scatterfield or these of the Scott Satterfield regime. Scatterfield's and good too. Scatterfield's it's not terrible. I kind of like. That. <laughs> um, and of course, you, if you're listening to this, you probably you've probably heard uh, the, the big take today. Uh, from the Courier Journal and, and kind of a general uh, talk and mumblings and rumblings in the college football underworld uh, that sca- that's I almost said Scatterfield again that uh, <laughs> Coach Satterfield was pulling scholarships of people who are committed uh, to the University of Louisville under the Bobby Petrino regime. Um, Chris, you know what's your what's your initial thought process on uh, both kind of that practice and you know the take of the Courier Journal maybe and and whether. Whether it's uh, it's Bobby Petrino and Matt Colburn 2.0. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's pretty typical of any coaching change or something like this to happen. Um, so it's not really surprising. I do find it a little alarming that we're sitting here on December 13th and Louisville has four commits. Uh, I don't think any way you want to look at that, that's a little alarming. Uh, I think even the biggest... You know, optimist Louisville fan would would probably agree with that. Um, it can turn out to be a good thing. It can turn out to be a bad thing. But that's where they're standing right now, especially when you talk about a group that was just whiffing on complete, you know, uh, groups. Uh, there was one scholarship tied in on the team against Kentucky. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's I think that's a little concerning. But, um, you know, as far as it relates to the Courier Journal article, I don't really care. Um, over the last two years, what's been written about local athletics, that's the thing you're going to let affect you. Like, that's the thing you're going to get upset about. You know, I mean, just reporting yeah. news and reporting it the way that's going to draw most of the opinion. But that's not the thing that's going to bother me. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Listen, like, I think there's a sense among Louisville fans that Bobby Petrino's out the door. Rick Petino's out the door. Tom Jurich is out the door. Now we can be positive about Louisville sports again. And I'm right there on with it. And I think that there was a general sense that Louisville wouldn't be um, kind of hung together with things that are typical around college football, which, I mean, let's be clear, they are. Uh, I saw John Hill of the Courier Journal who covers Kentucky football mention Stoops did the same thing. Um, I saw some people responding to some North Carolina um, Twitter personalities saying that Mac Brown was doing a similar thing. Uh, this is something that happens. Uh, this is it's a part of the game. The Matt Colburn uh, gray shirt was a part of, uh, you know, a regular practice, unfortunately. Um, but the difference is that Bobby Petrino was the coach of Louisville at that time. And that means that they're going to get a huge uh, kind of negative push nationally. I don't think yeah. this is really going to be a national story. Um, I don't think this is going to go beyond, uh, f- you know, forum fodder, to be quite honest. So I think on that front, Louisville fans should take a deep breath, 
Um, we kind of know what this means. And, 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 you know, honestly, I, I mean, obviously I'm a Louisville fan. I'm saying this. Um, if I was a kid committed to the university of Louisville, I would want the coach to go ahead and be honest with me and say, listen, there's not not really going to be a spot for you. You should figure things out in this early period before it's May and you have to, to walk on somewhere. Yeah. And you know, as a step further to that, First of all, 99% of like issues as it relates to the college athlete, I'm going to side with the college athlete because that's just kind of the way I view things from, from you know 30,000 feet. But in this issue, if a coach is telling you that you need to go elsewhere, that should, should light a fire, fire in you. And I mean, you being a competitor, you should be okay with that. And, you know, go to another school and prove them wrong. It's not like these kids are not going to have another opportunities elsewhere to, to prove themselves. So, yeah. And, and things change. And, you know, I don't think, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, it's just a part of it. And I'm right there with you. You know, you can definitely take it, take it in the view of, man, now these kids who are preparing to go uh, to the school, it's tough. And um, it is. And I think, especially in the situations, I think there were one or two of these guys who were planning on coming to Louisville in three weeks. And that's a bummer. That's a huge bummer, and that completely changes their plan. I definitely have a lot more sympathy for a student, um, you know, a, a recruit that is in that situation uh, than someone who is planning on coming in. And, and, um, but, yeah, it's I, I, it gives these guys agency. It gives these guys agency, and, it, you know, being a transfer, I would rather them do this than sit here for a year and be a transfer and then have to go to a, a, a junior college or something like that. That would be terrible. So I, I get both sides. I don't. I do think the media thing is a little overblown, um, probably a, a lot overblown. Um, but that's you know that's Louisville fans and and that's everyone for something to talk about for sure. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Elsewhere, sort of on the uh, the front uh, for football, um, some hires have been made. Um, so I think the biggest news so far is Fairfield, uh, uh, the defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator um, from Appalachia State. They're following him. Um, I think Bruce Brown is the, is the defensive coordinator. Who, if I uh, if I recall, he's the top four. Uh, he was already, he was in like the top thirty five under thirty five type thing, um, which is which is pretty good. And then uh, bringing the OC with him, whose name I'm losing, I believe it's like Woody uh, something. Um, but it's kind of continuation, and, and, and I know there might be some thoughts just like, hey, uh, you know, why is he bringing these guys who are just Appalachian State guys? But, you know, they, they, they have some pedigree. They have some talent. Um, I believe the offensive coordinator is going to be sort of the pipeline guy from, um, from Florida. Which, of, as as any Louisville fan would know, is really important to continuing the success of the staff. Um, and then, of course, the the really big news is Dwayne Ledford is leaving NC State for Louisville. He was the offensive line coach there, and is coming to Louisville. And that's something a lot of fans are. I'm just really, ecstatic about it. <laughs> I, I'm stoked as well because um, offensive line play has been the bane of this program's existence for four years, and for probably more than that. And I'm just super stoked to see someone who can competently coach offensive line. Uh, you know, I was hyped about Mark Summers, but I think that was sort of fool's gold. And we kind of noticed. And uh, Mark Ennis uh, um, on Twitter posted this really fantastic uh, 
kind of chart showing the difference uh, before and after Ledford was at um, NC State. It's just incredible, too. They, I, th- there was a stat that they were, uh, they let up over the past three years under Ledford. They had allowed the same amount of sacks that Louisville allowed this year alone, which is just crazy. Um, but yeah, looking at the looking at the difference right here um, in 2015, before Ledford joined the staff at NC State, um, the team was 107th in sack rate. Uh, one year Ledford, one year later, Ledford's there. His first season, they come all the way down to 10th. In 2017, they were sixth in sack rate, and this past year they were third. They had a Remington this year. That means the best. Uh, offensive lineman um, in the country was an NC State player and it already appears that a few O-line recruits for NC State are rethinking and I think one has already decommitted from NC State that doesn't mean necessarily they'll come along with them but it's I would almost imagine that those guys will will will, will be will take a listen to what Satterfield and Ledford have to say about the Louisville program which yeah, is just and- fantastic and there was a few guys, actually, uh, most of the commits that he got at NC State um, were O-linemen there, but there was an outside linebacker that he got committed, um, Jalen Scott, who was a three-star. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I found his recruitment just a little bit interesting because it, it is North Carolina and it is NC State. And, you know, uh, the pedigree, the difference that would take say that NC State right now is at a higher level in their football program but i found that interesting that he was able to win that in-state recruiting battle and there were a few more where he was the lead recruiter and he uh he was able to you know fend them off so just interesting tidbit no i completely agree and, and i you know it's and we so we, we've obviously been talking about recruitment uh, recruiting is such a fickle beast it's such a you know it's not for the faint of heart, as I saw, <laughs> as I saw earlier. Recruiting is is a is a cutthroat game, and I I would definitely keep an eye on these recruits that he's brought into NC State. You know, he's a big four star that I'm just looking is has decommitted from NC State. Um, I would take a look at them. I would I would keep your eye out. You know, if you're into the recruiting thing, it seems like these are going to be the types of guys that you're going to want to listen to, um, that you're going to want to keep an eye on, and and could potentially be things down the road. I'm not sure what kind of where Louisville will be next, I think, uh, next week for the or this week for the early signing period. But uh, I don't I don't suspect that Satterfield is 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 going to have come kind of a nothing burger for a class. I think a few things will come through. I think there'll be some things to get excited about where it comes to worse. You put all the eggs in the 20, uh, the 2019, 2020 basket and um, excuse me, the 2020 basket. And that's uh, and that's the big class. Uh, I think the the biggest question right now is as it remains, and it's going to be as we go through, you know, as far as we can go, probably till till spring ball is the quarterback position, and I, I think that's really what it, it. It's pretty simple for as far as it relates to next season, uh, whether they want to go find a JUCO guy or whether they want to, you know, do what they can with Puma or Malink. I think that that is going to be the main storyline going going through here in the immediate future. I, I completely agree, and we talked a little bit about it last week. It seems Satterfield is is pretty pretty set on on doing something there. Um, I would wager that I would wager, I would almost wager at this point that the, that someone who is not currently on the uh, in the quarterback room is going to start the first game 
next year. I, I, I just I kind of get that vibe um, based on kind of what we're hearing. And um, maybe one of the two guys transfers out. I wouldn't be shocked to hear that in the next few days, maybe a week or so. Um, but I, it's that's you're you're absolutely right. It's going to be quarterback position. Um, there's some options, not a whole lot. You know, uh, you know, you saw Kelly Bryant come off the board. I wasn't expecting him to come to Louisville. Um, I think there's a another guy from there's Kansas a guy from State TCU to TCU is who it was um, who could be of interest. Um, yeah, so we'll see kind of what Louisville does there. I I don't know. I'm not I'm not too. I, I don't think they're going to go out and get a five-star guy, of course, or anything like that. But you're absolutely right. That's the that's the biggest question. Yeah, I think there's just so much at the moment that's still in flux that it's almost a little tough to analyze. So yeah, and and these this kind of information is going to peter out little by little. I know a name everyone who is tuned into Louisville recruiting wants to hear is Court Dennison. I've heard some mixed things. I've heard some silence. I've heard some inclination that he is interested in coming back. Um, remains to be seen. You know, he's he he is uh, he just got the uh, the top uncommitted player in 2019 to commit to Oregon. Literally today, it was recording this Monday night. Um, so I don't know how interested he is in leaving. Uh, that'd be great if he came back to Louisville. He appeared to have liked it, and he obviously still has some connections here. Because uh, he, he, Oregon had quite a bit of uh, sway. I think they were in in late on a couple of Kentucky guys. Um, but yeah, no, it's I think kind of a lot of those local guys are out the door. Um, we talked, or I, I believe we talked last week in, about some of the high school recruiting that Satterfield's already done. He's already uh, started talking to some of the local high schools. Uh, he's asking, "What high school did you go to?" <laughs> a few times. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it'd be interesting. It's like like you said, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a few weeks. We won't get it. I don't think we'll have this full staff until probably January. So uh, it's it's a wait and see approach, and uh, I trust that he's you know the start's been good. Um, so yeah. So Gabe, do you know who is on my television right now? Who's on your television right now? Demarcus Cousins, and it says that he will be practicing and playing three games with the Warriors G League affiliate. And I am just sitting here thinking about this poor guy in the G League that is waiting for his opportunity to go to the NBA and has to guard Demarcus Cousins for the first time in playing in, you know, like a year. It's that's that's one of those things. It's like. I, that doesn't happen that often, right? Like, it's – you don't – No, I, I, usually those guys just, you know, they play 10 minutes, they play 15, they play, you know, no restrictions. So I, I don't know why this is any different, but – No, it, it appears – yeah, like, I, I did see that, that that was a potential opportunity. Uh, I saw the Warriors were talking about that. And I don't know. I mean, because, like, you see it in baseball. You'll see a guy go down to double A or triple A. I remember Clemens one time – pitched at slugger or no it was in lexington he sl- he he pitched in lexington once and it was like the biggest thing ever it was like on espn when he was like coming back from retirement so i don't know why players don't do this more maybe people would go to fort wayne mad ants games more often if, <laughs> yeah i need to find this schedule if recovering nba guys um would play i think uh, I think the Golden State team is like the Santa Cruz Warriors. This, the Santa Cruz Warriors, yes. This is I just must-see must television for me. I pulled that out of my behind. Um, but I, I don't. I think Damian Lee is still on the Warriors' main roster. Yes, he is. Uh, 
but he's gotten some play over in Santa Cruz. It's I, it, I actually like screenshot. I don't think I sent it to you, but at one point I was watching a Warriors game. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was the Toronto game. I watched the end of the Toronto Warriors game like two weeks ago. Fantastic game. But I took a picture of Damian Lee standing next to DeMarcus Cousins, who's just wearing like a Fendi sweater and these absurd glasses. <laughs> and I just, I was just like, man, like obviously college basketball doesn't mean that much, but like it's just the first thing I notice is just them next to each other and high fiving when Steph or uh, when Katie would make a bucket. I'm like, man, what are the conversations like? What when when there's a Louisville guy in the locker room? What does Boogie say about the the Jared Swapshire incident? Because <laughs> that just if I was a Louisville player, it'd be the first thing I'd say. Like, what happened there, man? Like, what what yeah. drove you to 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 do that, bro? <laughs> so I'm I'm looking at this schedule right now, and I really hope he's either going to come back on. December 15th or December 20th, because there's no games other than those that are relatively close. I really hope it's December 20th, because if that's the case, he'll play in Las Vegas. Oh, God. And that is just absolutely perfect, because he can just go out and smash a G League team, drop 20 and 10 in like 15 minutes, and then just go party in Las Vegas. And that's that's what I want. Peak boogie, man. I'm going to be so mad when the Warriors Death Star is at full power in March and they're just they've got boogie at the five and a clobbering teams it's gonna be so upsetting I'm gonna be so mad about it they may go undefeated in the playoffs I can't wait to get really pissed about that that's that's <laughs> really fun um do you want to talk about Lamar Jackson uh, we can talk about Lamar Wait. Jackson Lamar Jackson uh former little football player Heisman Trophy winner didn't see him up on stage on Saturday. I guess he, I imagine he was a little busy. I wonder. Oh, who I didn't even think for. about that. I wonder who he voted for. Um, you know, the uh, the uh, the Heisman Trophy awarding ceremony was Saturday. But yeah, Lamar Jackson is kind of leading Baltimore on like a little mini revolution here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, they went up against the Kansas City Chiefs who are the number one team in the AFC. Um, and they kind of, you know, they he, they had some moxie there for a minute. And, and, and I think Lamar's in a really good position with this team where he can play knowing that there's a really good defense behind him. Um, unfortunately, he turned over the ball, uh, I think, two times, two fumbles, uh, which was a little unfortunate. You hate to see that. And, and that's a problem he's going to continue to have, unfortunately, I think. I don't. I don't know if that's going to improve. And he's yeah, fumbled so, the ball his entire career, so he's I don't fumbled know the ball. He's going to change. Mean, Kentucky fans are laughing at that. So he just fumbled the ball once. I'm sorry, but he fumbled the ball three times against uh, against Atlanta, which is kind of wild. Um, so yeah, what's your general vibe on 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 watching Lamar on Sundays? How's it been? Well, dude, if if you're like. If you think a guy gives more coach speak than Bobby Petrino, uh, if you told me that, I would think you're lying. But I've watched now two Jim Harbaugh press conferences, <laughs> and oh my God. Here's the, the quote from him after the game is, quote, he made plays, passing game, running game. He's such a competitor. Yes, very impressive, end quote. And that's that's... It's like you pressed a button and it just that got spit out. Like it wasn't even right. a real 
soundbite. It just was like Coach Speak. <laughs> Activate Coach Speak <laughs> Volume Two. It's just... I was really into the the Kansas City games this this weekend. It was uh, a fantastic because, game. It was a fantastic. Yeah, game. I thought that was a really big big opportunity for Lamar. And you know, he didn't really play great, but you know, gave gave the Ravens every chance they could they could ask for to to win that game, and they just came up short. And I think that's what you. All you can really ask for from a rookie quarterback going on the road and a place that no quarterback has won this season. Um, but I, I think the the decision that the Ravens have to make is kind of fascinating, and especially if I want to, you know, approach it from an unbiased view as possible, because you've got this guy that I would imagine most of the fan base in Baltimore probably wants to see on the field yeah. um, just because he's the young, flashy guy. I wouldn't even just say most, Chris. I would I would say pretty much all. It seems like that's just the general thing. Even if even if Flacco comes back, they just know Lamar is the future. Yeah, and Fl- Flacco's cleared now. Um, he was yeah. actually cleared the Friday before the uh, the uh, the game, the Kansas City game. That just you know short week. He wasn't practicing. He was just going to be an emergency situation. But I think it's a really interesting situation they have to make because they're they're in the wild card right now. I think they're they're seven and six. So if they're not in the wild card, they're they're right there with my Miami Dolphins. So um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's 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 a really interesting decision to make. I, I don't know that there's necessarily a right one. I think if it was me, I'd probably play with Lamar because he's three and one. But I, I think you can make just as many arguments to play Flacco. I just. I think almost at this point, kind of the offense, and I mean, they're running this option-esque, you know, I mean, they're running the ball so often. Um, he rushed the ball 13 times uh, himself, just himself on Sunday, which is, uh, uh, it's, it looks like it's like the, the, the third lowest in this, uh, in this stretch. It's, um, you know, they, they, they he's, I, I've, I'm really, really focused on sort of the passing. Like kind of what, yes. you know, he was 13, 13 of 24 this week, uh, the week before that, 12 of 21, 14 of 25, and 13 of 19. So the best, kind of the best performance he had was that first game against Cincinnati. Of course, Cincinnati is, you know, trash now. So I don't think that, that measures up to much. But I almost get the vibe, Chris, that sometimes he he just kind of overthinks throws. Do you, it's like, he still, it still feels very rookie. And I, I think a lot of the NFL guys just kind of, you know, and it's part of the take culture. It's all in or all out. They're like, Oh, he, he's not going to be able to throw enough to, to be a consistent guy. And once they figure out the running thing, it's not going to, it's, it's just going to be all mirage. Um, I mean, what are you seeing out of his throwing? I feel like I, I don't I don't have the drop figures in front of me, but it's I think there was like two or three really big yeah. drops. Uh, I think it was like a, a clear touchdown from John Brown at one point uh, that was dropped, and it would have a hundred like it wasn't Lamar at all. It was a hundred percent on John Brown. Um, he's, he had those plays, of course, in Louisville, um, and it always feels like the stats for him passing are worse than they actually should be. I can imagine that if you the last two years of your life, if you've listened to guys constantly criticizing if you could throw the ball or not, it's going to start to take a little bit of a toll on you no matter who you are. So I think the overthinking it thing may, you know, that may uh, be legitimate. But 
I think Lamar, what's really important for him is I think he's a guy that just needs to get in some type of rhythm. Um, I liken it a little bit to to kind of Teddy at Louisville. When Teddy would get in the no huddle and he'd get a few passes strung together, yeah. he was a much better player. And I think that kind of works for Lamar, too, because there was a there was a few series against Baltimore where, you know, he was eh, nothing too special. There were a few out routes and a few slants across the middle, but he looked so much comfortable Whereas, you know, if he's not in the rhythm, I think he tends to overthinking it. But that that bomb to John Brown that you were referring to, the rollout uh, to, you know, the left side, 45-yard pass was just absolutely beautiful. And it just, unfortunately, was dropped. But, yeah. Yeah, and it's and, – and those plays really stick out when you're talking about a guy who's only throwing the ball 20, 25 times, you know, compared to, you know – Andrew Luck will throw the ball 40, 50 times. So those, those plays stick out a little more. And yeah. I'm, I, I'm with you. I think he's, it's going to take time for him to kind of let the game come to him. And that's real coach speak and real draft prospect speak. Um, but for Lamar, I think it's once he kind of can identify defenses much more, you know, in a much more effective fashion, uh, he'll be, he'll be all right. He'll figure it out. I think what's important is all the veterans in that locker room seem to be behind him. Yeah, um, and, and that's that's something that's not easily won over. He's so lit that, a fire. He's lit a fire into the team, and I don't think anyone can take that away from him. So I think that when you're talking about the QB decision, it's 100% him. Uh, just because the team's behind him, the fan base is behind him. Um, they've got, you know, I think they've got a decent enough schedule going forward. Um, they play Tampa Bay uh, this coming week. Then they play the Chargers. That'll be their toughest game for the rest of the year. And then Cleveland. So, I mean, you can win. They, they should win two of those games. They should yeah. win two of those games. Um, they, you know, they could probably give the, Clipper, their, uh, the Clippers, um, <laughs> the Chargers a good scare in, in L.A. Um, so I don't think that game's out of reach. But I'm really interested to see him play Sunday, this coming Sunday, because it's the first home game they've had in three weeks. I'm really interested to see that fan base getting behind him. Uh, you know, Baltimore has been known to be a tough place to play in December and January. Uh, so I think it'd be really cool to get that fan base behind him. And if he can make it to the playoffs, that would be super awesome. I think he would, you know, it's pretty much if, yeah, I think he would pretty much be the only rookie in the playoffs for QB, which would be a fun little kind of wrinkle to all the draft Knicks. Uh, who loves to talk in that business. <laughs> yeah. And if they go on some miraculous Super Bowl row, a run, I think that, Kodak Black performing at halftime just has to be kind of like contra- contractually <laughs> like obligated Good. to happen. So, oh man, that would be a ton of fun. Yeah. I couldn't be doing more. Um, well, Chris, anything, uh, anything else uh, on the docket for you? Techno bows overrated. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say that out loud. I it, it literally just being so ecstatic about the Dolphins beating the Patriots and seeing it recreated through the Tecmo Bowl was like the worst thing ever um, because NFL Blitz is infinitely better. But anyway, yeah, that, that's really it. Great point. Great point. That, you know, NFL Blitz, why are, where are the NFL Blitz recreations? Where's the, where's the play? Who see Gronk on NFL Blitz? Oh, my gosh. That's... Shout out if if you were listening to this, you just stumbled onto a million dollar idea. I don't I don't know how to record NFL Blitz footage. Um, if you can figure that out, you've you know we've made the money for you. Send us a check for fifty bucks and we'll be happy. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Well, Chris, I think that's about all we had written down and all we wanted to get to for today. Uh, thank you for joining me for a podcast. Uh, really appreciate Absolutely. having you on, as always. Peace. Peace. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to What High School Did You Go To? Uh, look forward to talking to you next week and go cards. All right. That went well.